Welcome to Mercy Fellowship, where we are saved by Jesus' work, we are changed by Jesus' grace, and we are living on Jesus' mission. It's just a joy to see you guys uh, this morning. Um, I think it's good that maybe some of you, if, if you don't have power at your house, we can go back to social distancing if you couldn't get a shower, uh, right? So go ahead and spread out if you want to. And we've got um, bribed you guys here with donuts and lunch. This is the time in the sermon where I announce that I am starting an essential oils business, and you guys are all going to be my brand ambassadors for that. And so, no, that's, that's not what we're doing today. Um, we're taking a break from our sermon series in the book of Daniel. Typically, we preach through books of the Bible, or sometimes we have some more topical series, because we just thought it was really important uh, on, on, at the beginning of kind of fall, winter, transition time to just talk about who we are as a church, where we are as a church, and where we hope to be going uh, as a church. And so some of this might seem at times like review. Uh, I'm going to be kind of in my notes uh, a little bit because I just want to be specific. There's going to be probably um, uh, an overwhelming amount of information and details. So if you're like a note taker and you're like, he said this and then he said this phrase, like just know that tomorrow uh, the manuscript will be up online. So all the details will be up there as well. We hope to have an email out later this week with some additional details. But uh, I just wanted to start first with, with who we are. We're, we're Mercy Fellowship. And, and why we're named Mercy Fellowship is because we believe that mercy is a mega theme in the Bible. That mercy is um, the fact that we do not get the just consequences of sin that we all deserve, but God is actually rich in mercy and he gives us life. Mercy is more than just not getting what you deserve. Mercy is also steadfast love. It's kindness. And so we want to be people at Mercy Fellowship who um, uh, are, are embrace the mercy from God and embody mercy as conduits, as, as people who've received mercy. Like know if you're a Christian, know if your faith is in Jesus, then, then, then we believe that we are children of mercy. And so we want to be sharing and giving mercy to others. As well, we're, we're not just, you know, Mercy Church, we're Mercy Fellowship. And you're like, well, is that just because, like, you wanted to have a different word than church so we could try to be slightly cooler? No. Like, fellowship is this awesome Greek word in the New Testament called koinonia. And it's a rich word. It's a word that meant that you were participating in and part of a people. So Mercy Fellowship uh, isn't a place you go. Mercy Fellowship is a part of, of a people that you are a part of. It implies partnership for the gospel. It implies participation. It implies being connected together and that, that we are brought together for a purpose. And we also believe that, that any fellowship, and, and we'll hit this maybe more in, in winter, any fellowship is brought together by God for God. And so that's why we're here. And so that's, that's our name. But then you're like, wait, well, hey, every morning he says Mercy Fellowship. And then uh, like if you've got a mug, if you like see some of our signage out there, or every sermon I start with, I say three things. And, and it's funny sometimes to kind of hear you guys try to say what those are because you, like, you get like a quarter on them, right? And I'm like, I say it every week. And I'm guessing like you're like, well, yeah, I tune out the first three things you say. Uh, and, then, and then maybe I turn out sometime in the middle. I know you're going to end with trust Jesus. That's when my eyes come up and I get my second cup of coffee, right? So at Mercy Fellowship, we say we are saved by Jesus' work, changed by Jesus' grace, and living on Jesus' mission. That's an identity statement for us. That we believe, first, that we're saved by Jesus' work. This describes what we call our doctrine of salvation. 
So if you haven't been to church for a while or, 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 or you're new to church or whatever, you're like, oh, all of a sudden he's just talking about doctrine. Yeah, we have to know what we believe, why we believe it, what's brought us together. Ephesians 2, chapter 8 and 9, or sorry, Ephesians chapter 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing, it's the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. What we believe is we cannot earn our salvation, that Jesus has actually done the work for us. At the end of the sermon, when we take communion, we're remembering Jesus Christ work on the cross for us. So nothing we can do can save ourselves. That, that's that's the, the religion of self-help. That's the religion of, uh, of just hardcore legalism. You can do enough and then you can save yourself. No, no, we say we are saved by Jesus' work. It's him on the cross that paid for our sins, that satisfies God's justice, that secures our place in the kingdom. And as we talk about gospel doctrine, I think it's important as a church just to like, like kind of hone that in maybe even a little bit more. Like we are a Christian church. And within the, the realm of Christendom and the realm of, of Christian faith and practice, we are specifically Protestant, which means we're not Catholic, we're not Eastern Orthodox, we're, we're Protestant, we're fans of the Protestant Reformation, um, which, you know, if you didn't know, uh, Halloween is also Reformation Day. So, um, you know, you, maybe you saw some of your more theologically minded friends sharing out memes at that point. Um, but we are also, within Protestantism, we're evangelical. We believe the good news of the gospel. We believe God's word is authoritative. We believe we should preach good news to the world. And I know that in the last six years, that world has been co-opted by a world that would rather see earthly politics above the politics of King Jesus overall. But we're gonna go ahead and reclaim and own that word. And we're not gonna shy away from it. We're a Christian, Protestant, evangelical church. And then theologically, we're what you'd call reformed. And if, if you're like, that spooks you out, um, it's pretty simple. It means we believe in the five solas of the Reformation, that when Martin Luther, 507 years ago, nailed these theses to the Wittenberg door, some of what he was trying to say was to get God's church, God's people, to realign with the truth of what we see in God's word. And so he says, hey, we believe in God's word alone, sola scriptura. We believe that we're saved by Christ alone. That gets back to Jesus' work. That it's a gift of God by grace alone. That how we live as saved people is through faith alone. And that all we do is to the glory of God alone. Now, man, I just like threw out a whole bunch of theological grenades out there. That's okay. Like we're actually gonna spend some time in winter kind of breaking this down in later detail. But, but if you're trying to distill this, what we believe this means is that Jesus is the hero of our story. He's the hero of my story, Lord willing. He's the hero of your story. We believe he's the hero of every story and the big story. We're saved by Jesus' work. Number two, we believe we're changed by Jesus' grace. Like it says this here in Titus 3, 4 through 6. It says, but when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out richly through Christ Jesus, our Savior. Um, we believe the Christian gospel does save you from an eternity of wrath and judgment. And, and it saves you to a life of eternity with, with Jesus and his people. 
But we also believe the good news of the gospel changes us, transforms us. That we're not just pardoned sinners. That's good news. We are pardoned sinners. We are promised future glory. But I want you to know right now today, if you're a Christian, you are a privileged citizen of God's kingdom who has been regenerated, and it says is being renewed. And so he's talking about a change that happened in the past and a change that's happening in the present leading to a future glory. What that means is I'm no longer who I was. You're no longer who you were if you're in Christ, and you're becoming who God has created you to be. That should lead us to humility as well because none of us are perfect but it should lead to change and growth and progression that maybe you as a Christian at 20 years old should look different than at 40 years old and 60 and so on and so forth. 1 Corinthians, or 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. So that means we believe that Jesus made us and is making us new. And then finally we say Jesus, or rather living on Jesus' mission. So saved by Jesus' work, that's our doctrine of gospel salvation. Changed by Jesus' grace describes gospel transformation. Living on Jesus' mission, that defines gospel purpose. There's a reason you were saved. There's a reason you're being changed. It's to live on Jesus' mission. Uh, John 20, 21, Jesus tells his disciples, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, even so I'm sending you. That means everyone who is a Christian is a sent person. That Jesus was sent by God the Father on a mission of peace to restore broken relationships, to preach, like Jesus' sermons, super simple. Repent of sin and behold the kingdom of God is present with you in Jesus. Like, turn from sin, join the kingdom, receive the kingdom. We are sent by Jesus. And that means Jesus gave us life and so we live for him. And so we're gonna drill down a little bit deeper into this mission piece because I think it's important because I think what's maybe happened to us perhaps as a church over the last year or two or three is there's been you know, national conflicts and there's been relocations and, and changes within our church and within our communities. I think maybe we've had a little bit of mission drift. And so our identity implies our mission. We say living on Jesus' mission. Well, then what is that? So as a leadership team, a couple years ago, we asked ourselves, why do we exist? And so we say that Mercy Fellowship exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. Mercy Fellowship exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and who love people. And so for this next section, kind of the rest of my time, we've talked about who we are. We're going to talk about where we're at um, and where we're going. I'm going to break this out this way. We're going to talk about our purpose. We're going to talk about our provision. We're going to talk about people. We're going to talk about some of our partnerships. We're going to talk about producing fruit. What does that look like? And finally, we're going to end with the promises of God. So number one, what's our purpose? If we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love people, like that's just not a catchy phrase. We get that from two key sections of Scripture uh, in the New Testament, Jesus' teaching. Number one, what's called the Great Commandment. And number two, what's, sorry, Great Commission, rather. Number two, what's called the Great Commandment. And so if you're part of a Christian church, um, you probably have some mission statement that looks a little bit like these following verses. Matthew 28, verses 16 to the end. 
This is after Jesus resurrected. He called them to this mountain for this moment of significance to, to say, hey, you 11, I'm going to be sending you out. I want you to know what you're going to be about. And he says this. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain in which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I am with you always till the end of the age. So here at Mercy Fellowship, we embrace this. We embrace the Great Commission. And, and what I, I love about these verses, right, Jesus is giving them this kind of like last bit of mission before he goes and ascends into heaven. This is what you're going to be about. And, and as they see the resurrected Jesus, people are gathered together, okay? And it says some worshiped. And it says some doubted. So maybe you're not even coming in today as a doubter. Maybe you're just like, no, stiff-arm skeptic. That's okay. We are so glad you're here. Have a donut. Have two. And maybe you're coming in as a worshiper. Like, oh man, I just, it's Sunday and that's what I'm called to do. We're called to gather with God's people. And at this time and place, this is where God has me. But maybe you're just wrestling with doubt. I want you to be encouraged by these verses that you do not need to jettison your faith just because you might have some doubts around doctrine or around how the church has acted or, or around your own lived experiences. Jesus is okay with your doubt. And here's what I love even more. That Jesus is okay with doubt, and he answers both worshipers and doubters with the same thing. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Jesus wants the worshipers to know, I'm in charge. Jesus wants the doubters to know, doubt all you want, I'm still king. I'm still in charge. All authority has been given to me. And so if you're a disciple of Jesus, we do believe that you worship Jesus as divine, as God's son. He has all authority. And what I think is interesting about him giving this great commission and saying he has all authority is he doesn't then lay out, now that I have all authority, let me tell you all the things I'm going to do, right? Like in, in, in two days, you're going to vote, right? Or maybe you already voted or whatever, right? And, and then whoever wins, they're going to say, all right, we got, we're in charge now or we're still in charge. And they tell you all the things they're going to do and, and then they don't do them or, or they do them worse or, you know, whatever, right? No, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, because I'm in charge, let me tell you what you're going to do. Let me tell you what your purpose is. To go to all the nations. And also that word go means as you go, as you live your life. You're going to make disciples of Jesus. You're going to teach them to observe, to obey all that I've commanded. But you are going to go. And what I want you to recognize is if you're here in, in 2022, I feel like I got the year right this time, gosh. You're here in 2022, and if your faith and trust is in Jesus, that means a couple thousand years of disciples did this, answered this commission, lived this out. Some were martyred, and some had awesome thriving ministries and everything in between. But someone told you about Jesus. You are here. I am here as a Christian, as a pastor, because of the Great Commission. And that means that we, if you're a Christian, are here for the Great Commission. That's your purpose. Like, we all could have been zapped up and been home by now. And, and there's days. 
but he has us here. And you're like, go to all the nations. Okay, great. Like, good, get me out of Snohomish County. I want to go to the nations. Hey, I hate to break it to you. Jesus is talking to a bunch of Jewish guys in the Middle East. They already went to the nations. We're the nations. We're on the opposite end of, like, the world. And you can look at some stats. Yeah, we're a super, super wide area. But we still have people from every tribe, tongue, and nation in our county. And, and some people have been called to go. We sent missionaries out on airplanes to places like Palau. We've, we've sent uh, people to get trained over in England. Uh, and, and we sent people to go suffer down in Florida, right? Some people have gone. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But some of us have been called to stay for a week, for a year, for a season, for a decade, for the rest of our lives. We don't know. But we're here now. And so that means you are called to this place and space to make disciples, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. That means that there's a conversion from your allegiance being to yourself or to another God, to, to Jesus as King, to Jesus as Savior. That's why our shirts uh, for baptism say, buried with Jesus, risen for him. The old you is gone and the new you has come and, and your allegiance is now to Jesus and you live a life for him. Okay. We embrace the great commission. We hope to embody the great commandment. Earlier in Matthew, Matthew chapter 22, um, verses 36 through 40, Jesus is teaching and he's got a guy coming up to him trying to ask like, hey, what, like, Jesus, you've, you've taught a lot, right? Jesus, sometimes your sermons are too long. And, um, can you just like distill it down, give me the Cliff Notes version? Like, is there a tweetable version, Jesus, of your sermon? And Jesus says this to him in chapter 22, verses 36 through 40. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. The second's like it. You should love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the law and the prophets. So as a church, we hope to, to embrace the Great Commission, to make disciples. But when he asked, what, what is a disciple to do? Jesus' answer is, embody this great commandment. And it distills down to love God and love people. And we say often, that is kindergarten simple. What's a disciple of Jesus? Well, uh, somebody who's been saved by Jesus' work, changed by Jesus' grace, living on Jesus' mission. And, and um, well, what's, what's the mission and what are they supposed to do? Oh, we're supposed to, we exist to make disciples of Jesus Christ who love God and love people. So, oh, so you're supposed to, to do, you're supposed to love God and love people? And that is kindergarten simple. Like the Ronks are out of town today, but if Carrie's here, she could have made a coloring sheet that said love God and love people. But it is grad school difficult to actually live that out. To even understand what that means. And we're talking about an, an almighty, omnipotent, all-knowing, omnipresent God who's over all of history, who is infinite and we are finite, who is powerful and we are weak. We're supposed to like, just, just love God. Okay. Like, that means our lives are going to be spent hoping to know more about the God who, who knows everything about us. To be known by God, to know the God you love. He says, with all your heart, that's affection. 
the character and nature of God being one of mercy, causing us to desire communion with the goodness of God. It says all your soul. That means our, our souls are going to worship. Our spirit's going to, to worship the nature of God, his power, to respect and revere the greatness of God. And he says with all your mind, or sometimes it's all your might. So that means like your life of, of, of what you think and how you think and your actions, your intellect and your actions, the commands and instructions of God, that directs us to obey the lordship of God. Man, there's a lot there. See, because God's love impacts every entity of our being, our whole self responds by loving God. Okay, what about loving people? You're like, yeah, Chris, I got loving God, check. <laughs> right. Love people, and then he goes specifically your neighbor, and you're like, oh, shoot. You're like, because I like people, right? I, I love people. We all love people because people are just like a group of like people, but I don't know if I like that person. <laughs> oh, shoot. We're talking about actual people. So if you're going to love God and love people, he says, as yourself, that means we need to be people who are curious, curious about other people, and also curious about yourself. Like, like, like what's the turd casserole you brought to our potluck of like your family past and your own issues? I mean, it'd be nice to label it just so we know if we want a spoonful of that or not. We're not doing a potluck today, guys. Don't worry. But like, it's okay to know yourself a little bit. Like, if you're going to love your neighbor as yourself, then it means you need to know other people, you need to be known by other people, but also you need to be know, know that you're a person who matters. You're a person who matters. You're a person who needs to be known and loved. Yeah, you love others, but you, we're all people that need to be known and loved. To truly know yourself is to know the person that God created for a purpose, who God loves and who God saved. Like, it's okay to know a bit about yourself. Now, I've watched that get weird. Okay, this is not a call to Instagram psychology. We're just like, well, I know me, so y'all better respond to it now. Like, no, know yourself so you can be more of the self that God has called you to be, that he's created you to be as unique, and also know that you're called to love others. So self-reflection and self-awareness doesn't need to lead to, 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 to selfishness, but can lead to an outward focus of loving other people, meaning you actually have to know some other people. You gotta be curious about some other people, engage with the, welfare of other people. See, when you know yourself, you hopefully get to places of humility where you can see some of your own sin. You realize, man, I just, I'm so glad I'm saved, you know, but, but God, I need to be saved. God, I need to be changed, right? We talked about, right, changed by Jesus' grace. But because of our sin, we need to be saved from ourselves, but because of our Christ, we get to be saved to be ourselves the selves that God always intended you to be. He's got a purpose for you. He has an intention for you. Some of that is to love others. That means as a church, um, 
there's going to be aspects of our church that are always distinct from the community around us. Because we're, because we're people of the book, because we're followers of Jesus, because we believe in a God who creates, because we believe in a God who has designed for gender, sexuality, and, and life, because we believe that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life and that no one comes to the Father through him. Like Those are distinctions from either a pluralistic society or a secular society. So we will never look exactly like the world. And you should probably do some self-assessment if all of your views, all those things, align more with what the world is saying rather than what the Word has said. We're called to be distinct from the world and the community, but not disconnected from it. So I know this building is intimidating, right? It's a big gray building with like no windows facing the street, right? It's like a fortress. I'd say it's an impenetrable fortress, but the six break-ins we've had in the last six years prove otherwise. But this is not a fortress. We're not a fortress. We're called to be an embassy and a place of refuge for a world that needs mercy and grace, and truth and justice that comes from Jesus. So I hope as a church we can find ways to to love our city and community in tangible ways, remembering that we've been loved by God when we're unlovable. So even when our community is facing challenges, we can still love and embrace them with the justice, mercy of Jesus as we seek to walk humbly with him. Guys, that's our purpose. Great commission, great commandment. Like, if you're not sure, what are we about? That's what we're about. And and so, like, a lot of things have changed in the life of our church in the last several years, but that hasn't changed. And that's a purpose and a commission and a commandment that was given to the church a couple thousand years ago, and we're just just trying to carry the torch for our season and our place in space. Number two, though, is provision. Provision's been given to us in Christ. And provisions needed for the mission. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 and 8 says this, The point of this, whoever sows sparingly will reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. So we're saved by Jesus' work. We're changed by Jesus' grace. But living on Jesus' missions means that we're actually, we are going to do some things. Not so that we will be saved, but because we already are. And that requires provision. And and so like, you're like, oh shoot, he is going to talk about money now. Just for a little bit, just enough so you get uncomfortable, and then we'll move on. We just simply believe that we have a generous God. Spoke the universe into existence created mountains and rivers. And like the, the fact that maple and flour and sugar all go together, man, praise God. He's a good God. Anything good you've ever enjoyed in your life that hasn't led to sin is a gift from God. Like I got to watch the, the Huskies win on Friday. That was good. I was excited. It's a gift from the Lord. We got to enjoy God's creation as we came over the pass and the snow came down. And yeah, there's a little bit of fear. I'm in a Mormon van. It was like it was going to skid off and like that's, that's the end of it. You know, thankfully there was troopers around. We made it. Spoiler alert, we're safe. 
Our God provides us with everything. If you have a job, you have a home, you have food, you have clothing, that is a gift from the Lord. That's amazing. And we've actually, as a church, we've been given this building as a gift to steward for his purposes. And so we just believe that everyone that's part of Mercy Fellowship should be giving cheerfully, regularly, and sacrificially. That might look different for everyone. Cheerfully, you got to ask yourself, am I motivated properly in my giving? Like, do you think it's like a duty or like, what, what, what is it? It says here, God loves a cheerful giver because we're giving out of a response to what's been done for us. He says as well that our giving is going to be intentional. That means that you're not like, well, hey, he talked about the giving that one time. Maybe I'll, I'll give a little extra in the offering plate up front. Or, you know, if it just comes to my mind, maybe I'll give like, like hey, um, I'm pretty sure I signed like a two-year contract with my cell phone. Like, and maybe you did too. Like, I don't think even some of us all have commitment issues. I mean, I probably have streaming services that I signed up for one time because I want to see one show that I'm probably still paying for. I'm like, Kirkland Signature Plus, Costco streaming service. Like, I don't even know if that's a thing. You can be intentional with your giving. All that means is you're planning for it. Is it regularly part of your budget? And then sacrificial, am I giving proportionally? Sacrificial just means it costs you something. For some of you, that's 1%. For some of you, that's 10%. For some of you, that's more. I don't know what it is for you, but I think it's something you should wrestle with and you should resolve. What does cheerful, regular, and sacrificial giving look like? And we, we've been, again, blessed with this place and space. We've been blessed with generous givers here at Mercy Fellowship. And as we talk about some transitions that have happened with people, um, there's, there's a reality that we, that our church right now, we're operating at a budget deficit. That's not a great word. And we're not Congress. So I can't just be like, we're raising the debt limit. We're printing more money. So, like, we have a budget deficit between 15 and 20%. That sounds like a lot. It is. And that's okay. We've got resources. We've got, we've got money in the bank. We can ride this out for a while. Like if you think about this as, as basically a, like a startup or replant, like, yeah, okay, we got a, a runway. That's great. So we're going to do what we can on our end to lower costs. And we also want to see Mercy Fellowship step up and invest. And so you can give online. You can give in the offering earns up front. Um, we have an app as well that we're encouraging everyone to download the app just so you can be up to speed on what's going on. But um, that's, that's where we're at, and, and that's okay. Like, like, we're okay with this. We've planned for this at this moment. We knew that this year would be a bit of a storm, but, but we don't want to be in this place next year, if that makes sense. So we want to see this progress. Okay. I also want you to know, too, that, that money equals mission ammunition. Like, I mean, yeah, there's staff that needs to be paid. There's, like, this building needs to be cared for. It's a big space. We need more people to join the facilities team with Curtis and, and kind of get things done. We want to fund church planning. We want to fund foreign missionaries, all of that. That's, that's great. All of that requires finances. And, and I don't want you to be like, well, hey, gosh, we better, better give this step up so the church can make budget. I just want us to be generous people because God has been generous with us. And he's made us to be generous. For me and my family, just as an example, by God's grace, we've been able to give uh, a larger percentage um, e- each year of the last 10, 15 years. And we've kind of, it's not much, not, not much growth, but like we just try to lead in that. And so if, if not if, just, I just want to thank you for your generosity. This isn't the like, gosh, give more. Like, you know, just 
Thank you. Everything given is a gift from the Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness. Okay. A couple partnerships. All right, we, we're doing all about everybody can exhale. We didn't even pass the plate. Like we didn't even have, we didn't even have Josh come up and like do a song and like whip you up into, like we didn't, none of that. Just, just, okay. Let's move on. Partnerships. Mercy Fellowship, guys, we're, we're not alone. We're not going it alone. We're affiliated with a church network called Acts 29. It's got about 700 churches around the world. Um, it's got about uh, a few hundred here in the U.S. Uh, and then we've got about 50 or 60 here in the Pacific Northwest. But an awesome organization to be a part of. We're also part of um, uh, a network called Church Venture Northwest. It's a newer name, but it's an older network. It used to be called Conservative Baptist. They changed the name because, I don't know if you know this, in the Northwest, Conservative and Baptist are two four-letter words. So they changed the name a couple years ago, um, and uh, they're involved in strengthening, revitalizing, uh, and planting churches here in the Northwest. Both those, those organizations actually overlap a bit together and work together. We love our church partnerships. We also have mission partners, Pregnancy Resource Center of Snohomish County. We are huge fans of the Pregnancy Resource Clinic of Snohomish County that helps women make life-affirming choices um, with, with the compassion of Jesus Christ. We love that organization. And then as well, we support uh, Equip Burkina, which is uh, a pastor's training school in Burkina Faso to help train pastors all across Central Africa. Okay, partnership. All right, moving on. Talked about our purpose, talked about provision, talked about partnerships. We need to talk about people for a second. Because, yeah, I mean, obviously we need resources. But I just want you to know that you, you're needed. Your voice is needed to sing. Your, your smile is needed to encourage one another as we walk in. For those of you that are extroverts, the, your hugs are great. For those of you that are introverts, we'll give you space. But you're needed. You matter as part of the fellowship. We want to see us individually and collectively grow in commitment and connection. You're needed for mission. You're wanted for relationship. And so I want to talk about people like where we're at, where we've been, because like it feels a little fuller here, but there's been up and down Sundays this fall. And I was on sabbatical this summer. I know there was some of that as well. So let's talk numbers for a second. 16 months ago to five months ago, as a church, we were averaging about 125 to 130 people on a Sunday. And uh, we had about 200 people that called us home. That means all y'all are doing a great job of doing like, you know, once or twice a month, okay? And that's great. And, and we felt like things were moving in a really good direction. This fall, we've been averaging about 95 people on a Sunday, and there's about 150 people that call our church home at this point. So like, like what happened? Well, I mean, in any church at any time, there's, there's always some transition as people say, hey, I'm not part of this mission anymore. I'm going to move on somewhere else. And we had probably about 10% on any given year at any church. 10% of people say, yeah, I'm going to maybe, maybe go to a different church or do a different mission. That, and that's okay. Lord willing, you always have 10, 15, 20% coming in. That's great. But, so we had that, and that's, and that's normal. And, and great people, and we love them. And, and many of them are at other churches here in the area. Praise God, we love the churches in this area. But also, during the last year to 14 months, we had 45 people move out of our region. Just like, deuces Washington, I'm out. Or at least Western Washington, because I don't know if you can see outside, like it's dark, you know? So some people just like hopped over the mountains. Some people went north a couple counties. 
Like we said, we, we had Tennessee, we had Texas, Arizona, uh, Florida. Um, yeah, I don't know if anybody moved to California. I'm not sure. Okay, anyway, but 45 people. Hey, that's a church. Like in Acts 29, we call that a church plant core group. And, and they've been seated now to other churches. Praise God for that. Like, like, like that, that's awesome for them. <laughs> Sorry. It's awesome. Some of them were with us for a year or two. Some of them we got to baptize. Some of them we got to see their marriages restored. Some of them we got to see go from atheists to, to fired up believers. Some of them we got to see their kids get baptized. Some of them, some of them have been with us for a year or two. Some of them have been with us for 15 years. Decades of community group together. Dozen Halloween's together, eating chili, too much candy, playing card games. And it hurts. Like, I'm a former fraternity rush chairman. I'm in marketing. I can rah-rah us to death if I want to. But I want us to acknowledge hurt. The good people left. That they're not here anymore. And, and maybe, again, you're, you're new or maybe, like, I think every one of us in the last couple of years has experienced some loss. Maybe you lost a friendship over politics. Maybe you lost a family member over gender. Maybe you, maybe you lost community over vaxxed, unvaxxed stuff. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe you had loss because our time comes up and they're with the Lord now, they're gone. We've all experienced loss and, and for the people that left, I mean, tears were shed when they're left. And I'll just confess, grief is felt now when they're gone. And last Sunday when Curtis was preaching, um, I'm listening to his sermon for sure. Awesome sermon on Daniel 7. Um, just the, the guy, man, Curtis is a great preacher. But I, I look back and some of y'all just decided, I want to send him back today. <laughs> and I looked at the empty pews and it made my heart break. Because it wasn't just empty pews. It was who used to be in those pews. I miss them. And it's okay to miss people. And so we're going to take a minute here to do something just a little bit different. And we're going to pray for the empty pews in this place and space. And in the next just minute, 90 seconds, you can bow your heads, you can pray out loud, whatever. Like, I want you to, to, to pray for those who were here. And maybe they weren't here in the pews. Maybe they were just in your life. But I want us to pray for who was here. For the joy they brought you. For the relationship you enjoyed. For the friendship you had for a season or for a lifetime. For their faithfulness. And just, just pray that they're missed. And that they're either, like I said, with the Lord or they're, or they're in a better place. And that maybe that better place is Florida. <laughs> I miss the Florida guys. If you're online, Florida guys, we miss you, okay? They're online sometimes. So next 90 seconds, why don't you just pray for the empty pews? Pray for, pray for them and, and pray for your grief.
Lord, we know that every one of us has experienced loss. We know that every one of us has grief in some measure. Lord, we know as well that your story ends with all of us around one table, in one church, singing with one voice. So Lord, we do thank you for the joy that others brought into our lives, for their faithfulness and service to this church, or their friendship or relationship in our families. Lord, we thank you now that they're, they're seeding and, and encouraging other churches. Lord, that they experienced discipleship here, and now they're helping to disciple others. And so, God, I just, I just pray that you'd be near to the tenderhearted and that you would replace our grief and mourning with joy. God, you're good. Amen. Okay, I also want us to pray for these empty pews one more time. Only this time, as you pray, and maybe you can pray with your, with your family, or you can pray with people around you, you can make a little noise, that's okay. Um, I want you to pray for the opportunity that these empty pews represent. There are 200,000 plus people within 10 miles of this church building. Percentage-wise, 1 to 2 or 3% maybe go to church. Maybe 5%. I have to bet that there's two, three, four, five hundred people here in Snohomish County that God wants to be part of Mercy Fellowship. Or that there's somebody who maybe will never come to these pews, but that you want them to be in some pew or some chair or stool or I don't know, however they sit other places. We got pews because the Baptists put them in here and they, they won't move. They're bolted to the ground. But we're going to pray for these empty pews. Pray for the people who are being discipled to other churches who are going to come here and, and bring more life and energy and service. Pray for people who are spiritually dead that God would bring them to spiritual life and that we would see more and more people get baptized. God has put us in this place and space for a reason. So the next 90 seconds, I want us to just pray for these empty pews for the opportunity they represent for God's mission. Let's pray. God, you told Paul in Corinth that you had many people in that city who needed to hear the gospel, many of your people who would be saved. Lord, um, we don't, I don't know the names of all the people that have come into the hearts and minds of the people here today, but you do. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would move them from death to life. Lord, I pray that our church would get to be part of making your name and fame unignorable here in Snohomish County and beyond. Holy Spirit, as well, I just pray for the churches in your church across this region, across our country and this world. Lord, that more and more people would come to know and love and serve you, Jesus. Lord, I pray in the days and weeks and months ahead that the individuals in this room would have opportunities to share good news, to invite, to encourage their friends, their families, their people in community, to gather with your people, in this church, sure, and if not your will, somewhere else. Lord, fill these empty pews, not for numbers, but because every one of them is a person who needs you, Jesus. God, you're good to us, you're good for us. In Jesus' name, 
Amen. Guys, I really hope um, that this time and, and, uh, is a downer because uh, it's not. I mean, we have purpose. We have people. We have provision. And as well, I do believe that we've been called to produce fruit. The reason I know that is because Jesus told his disciples that in John 15. He says this. We're called to produce fruit. He says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So here's Jesus telling his disciples that, that all life and purpose and, and joy and truth all comes from us being connected to Jesus, who is the vine. That we are the branches, right? He also says that, they, you know, you're called to produce fruit, but he also doesn't say like, hey, so, so go produce fruit. He says, no, apart from me, you can do nothing. So to be clear, if, if you're not on the vine of Jesus, if we're not abiding in the vine of Jesus, I, you, we, me, all, we ain't producing anything. It's Jesus who produces fruit. But I love that he uses the analogy of vine here because vegetables grow on the ground, right? Trees, orchards, they can kind of grow anywhere. Like those, those can grow without a lot of intentionality. But a vine, a vine implies intentionality because vines grow best where? Anybody know? On a trellis. And a trellis is a structure. And I'll just confess over the last, you know, year or so, like, you know, crisis mode in 2020, coming out of that, like, going into the sabbatical, I told the men about a month or so ago, like, I was, I'll just confess I was a pretty wore-out leader. I don't know that we've done enough work on our trellises here at Mercy Fellowship, our systems, our structure, our organization. And, and those exist not so that we can just be more dialed in. They exist to help us produce fruit. Josh Mott said today, was just like, hey man, our songs in Planning Center yet? I'm like, you don't need to know what Planning Center is. It's a whole software deal. I go, no, but they're going to be. He's like, yeah. Like these are good things. Like trellises are good things because any trellis helps facilitate the growth of the vine. And so that means that as a, as a leadership team and my focus as a full-time staff member over this past season and going into this next season is trellis work. What can we do to help make our trellises so that there can be as much fruit as possible to not be a hindrance? So that comes to organization and structure and reinforcing values and realigning for mission and purpose. And so like, like we're writing job descriptions for the staff. We're, we're encouraging you to get on an app because that's where like all of our sign-up stuff is at. Like, like you can give online. Like we want to have like serve teams ready to go. Like all of that organization is to help for growth. And again, not just more butts in the seats or more people, but it's to facilitate growth. And so we believe that our primary discipleship trellis is this Sunday morning service. So like the work we've been doing over the last month or so to try to get people here earlier, gathering. If you're a volunteer, we want you here at nine o'clock. We got coffee and snacks for you every nine o'clock so that at 9.30 we're praying. So that then we are warming this place and space up so that when new people come and gather, they're not coming into a, an empty room while those of us that are in the know know that we really start at 10.04, um, right? And so you're like rolling in the parking lot at 10.03. No, like we're a fellowship. Let's get together early. 
Let's gather early and then be a place in space. Remembering your first time at a new church or in any new space, that we're there ready with hospitality, with a warm cup of coffee, with a gift, with, 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 a, with a warm smile saying, we're glad you're here. Oh, hey, you got kids? This is where you check kids in. Oh, yeah, yeah you got, like, this is how your kids are going to be discipled in Mercy Kids. And so a lot of the work that we're going to be doing over this next season is continuing to just reinforce those teams. And I'm, I'm excited to uh, announce uh, as well that, that we're bringing on Curtis Hall on our staff uh, as an associate pastor. We're super excited for that. You can clap for that. Like, we're excited. Like, man, again, if you don't know Curtis, like, yeah, there he's, he's up there. There you go. Yeah, looming over all of us. No, Curtis has been putting together the media and the, uh, the tech team and kind of getting that back in order. Now he's like, oh, how do I organize uh, and help Rob Clark with security? Oh, what do we need to do to, to help get our hospitality teams, you know, more dialed in? Super excited for that. He's going to be preaching on a regular basis, helping out as well with facilities. Curtis has been with us for five years, loves our church, loves his wife, loves his wife first. I hope more, right? Yeah, yeah, okay. He's saying yes. Ruth isn't sure. Okay, um, but loves his wife, loves Jesus, loves this church. Like, he's already been doing a lot of this already. We're just excited that we're able to kind of help him out quarter time to make sure that he's able to help us. And um, we're just so glad to have him on the team. As well, we want to see our hospitality team um, get flushed out a little bit more. Mercy Kids, uh, we announced last week uh, that Carrie Ronk, I'm pointing to her, she was here last week. Now she's not, they're, they're on a trip. Um, uh, she's taking over Mercy Kids. And so next week, if you've got kids, either kids that should be in Mercy Kids, or you want to serve, or you have served, we are having lunch again after service as a thank you, and also kind of like, hey, here's the direction we're going in that ministry. Some of that is we're going to be launching, Lord willing, first through third grade after the first of the year. So we're excited for that. We want to see that end up being flushed out to all of elementary school. As well for, for Mercy Youth, um, we're working with a few other churches in our area to put together a youth camp for ages sixth grade uh, through high school uh, up at Mount Baker in February. So there'll be more details for that to come, but that's going to be February 10th through 12th. So if you have a sixth grader through, um, through uh, senior in high school, love to have you involved in that. And that's going to be with other churches in our areas and networks, like getting together and having a really awesome uh, youth camp up there. So excited for that. Um, a few other things that are coming up. What's next? Well, in November, we're going to be focusing on realignment. And again, that just means like, hey, getting our staff in order, getting our systems and structures in order, just kind of continuing to do this work. In December, we hope to be rejoicing. I mean, I was in Starbucks this week. They gave me a red cup. That means it's officially Christmas, okay? So like Christmas is coming. We're excited for that. We're doing an Advent series uh, on hope, peace, uh, joy, and love. Uh, excited for that. We'll have a Christmas Eve service at 7.30 here for that. Um, but that's what we're going to be doing, celebrating in December. And then as we get into next year, we're going to be what we're calling reestablishing our foundations. And so, yeah, we'll, we'll finish Daniel, um, but we'll also do some work on what's the foundational story of the Bible. So we'll, we'll actually open the year, uh, January 8th, uh, our first service, just going through an overview of the Bible in about 40 minutes, because hopefully all of you are starting Bible reading plans. We want to know what, what the story has to say, our foundational story. And then as well, we're going to do our foundational practices of a sermon series on gathering, on giving, on growing, and going on mission. And that's what our focus is going to be on Sundays. And then during the middle of the week, we're going to be kind of doing what 
we're tentatively calling kind of like a theology uh, pub night, either a Tuesday or Thursday night, uh, where um, men, women, youth, uh, everybody can gather in uh, the great room. And we're just going to go over some foundational theology of what do we believe Christians believe over eight, nine weeks. And we'll try to have, you know, refreshments provided. We're working on childcare for that. Um, but, yeah, you know, we're not going to be launching any new small groups or, or anything else. Like the thing that we want people to participate in during the winter, in addition to whatever else you're doing, but the thing that we're calling all of us to is in the middle of the week, let's just reshore up our foundation of what we believe as Christians. And, and as we do that, let's do that in community. So yeah, there'll be teaching, there'll be Q&A, there'll be discussion, there'll be some time to hang out and enjoy life together. So that's what we got coming up, guys. We're way over time on this. I want you to ask yourself, what's your next step? Is it to be baptized because you've become a believer? Is it to begin serving because, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm part of this fellowship, I want to contribute? Is it to give of your time, talent, and treasure? Is it, is it simply to, like, oh man, I need to work on the trellises of my life. I need to figure out my budget. I need to figure out my individual practices of, of prayer, of Bible reading, of, of communion with the Lord. Whatever that is, decide today what that next step is. And then we're here to help you follow through. Lastly, guys, as we close, last verses. We've talked about our purpose, talked about people, talked about provision, producing fruit. I want us to close with the promises of God. Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. I mean, right here, we... We're called to give thanks to God, to actually be joyful that we've been given victory. When we take communion, you're remembering his victory over sin and death that was done on the cross. We've been given victory. We've been, we're given a promise earlier, right? That we, we heard that Jesus is with us always to the end of the age. We have God's presence in the Holy Spirit. We have a future eternal promise that Jesus will return and there's no more sin, suffering, or tears, new heavens, new earth. Like, that's great. And we have a right now promise that everything that we do individually and collectively together in the Lord is never in vain. We simply trust Jesus. Let's pray.